Hello, Scuttlebutt listeners. A few months ago, Vic and I met with Miles Vining to discuss his involvement in the film The Battle of Lake Shanjing. We hope you enjoy. Hello, uh, Scuttlebutt listeners. We are back with again with Miles Vining to discuss uh, this month's topic for the anniversary of the uh, Battle of Chosin Reservoir. And uh, Miles here was actually one of the... Uh, 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 well, he'll go into greater detail about it. One of the crew members for the Chinese film that came out uh, recently titled The Battle of Lake Shanjing. So, uh, Miles, well, uh, first of all, like, uh, how did you get involved in this project in the first place? Um, I was sitting on an ambulance in Indianapolis because I was, I was an EMT, and I got a call from a friend of mine and said, hey, you were in the you're you're in the first Marine Division, right? And I was like, no, I was actually the second. I was with one nine, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, do you want to be a technical advisor uh, about uh, the Korean War, about the Chosen Reservoir? Like, you know about that, right? And I was like, that sounds interesting. Let's make it happen. And that that's kind of how it happened. Um, I I got this call from a friend of mine who was in and out of the movie business, and um, it kind of had to do with my experience on YouTube. And specifically with uh, a live fire shoot I did with with World War II firearms and you know shooting and moving with M1 Grands and Thompsons and stuff and he thought of that and they needed they needed a guy to train specifically the job was to train um, originally was to train the extras in the movie take them through like a little boot camp kind of thing um, and that's what I kind of envisioned coming on for but then I as I, I got into the job and I realized the role was expansive in so many different ways i ended up being um uh like a a researcher i ended up filling in as an extra i ended up filling in as like a semi-actor in some spots i did train the extras for about a a week and a half to two weeks um in china um i ended up giving you know giving advice given when the director says you know what does this want what does what does he want here and there kind of thing and um, but to to be to be totally humble and fair about it, I was this wasn't just me. I was I was brought on by this um, this amazing guy um, who lives in Southeast Asia, and is a very very good friend, very 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 good to work with as well. But I worked with him um, and his and his team that came together of all um, uh, working on the movie there. So I worked under him and with that team as well. And we were, um, it was a very good team to work with, very good guys, very dedicated, um, really good to be around. And we kind of, you know, worked through the movie and, um, and yeah, put up, put in as, um, as the, the, the term is a technical support actor. So we, we like, we filled in in places, we trained the extras and the actors and others, and we gave advice and we did research and put together things for the movie um, based on the Chosen Reservoir. Yeah. So, were, were most of the other uh, advisors and uh, actors portraying Americans? Were they were they Americans for the most part, or actually not at all? Because the uh, the Chinese movie industry has actually shadow banned American actors and actresses due to political reasons, um, starting with apparently Trump's trade war um, was when it kind of began. But in the Chinese movie industry today. Um, because movies have to be submitted to, you know, the propaganda ministry or whatever, you know, ministry they get looked through. If they have American names in the in the credits, or well, not in the credits, but before the movie is even made, when you submit your, you have to submit your script and all your um, everything about it. 
and who you're going to include in it and, you know, your, uh, your crew members and your actors. And the word that I heard from expat actors who worked in China, like these are full-time like, expats living in China, their entire lives are in China, and they, they're in the Chinese movie industry um, playing, playing um, you know, what's colloquially called um, uh, white monkey roles, um, where it's like, okay, this is the token, we need a token white guy to come over here or, you know, a European looking person or whatever. Um, but um, a lot of the actors... Um, and and then also, I mean, also all all shades of the spectrum, right? So anybody just isn't Chinese. So you know, um, black people, white people, Hispanic people, it doesn't matter. Like when the Chinese need someone to fill that, there's a whole crowd of expats to fulfill that. But um, they were telling me that you know a lot of uh, well the roles a lot of Americans started getting turned down because the Chinese didn't want to um, didn't want to show that you know you know they're trying to play they're trying to play this move against the United States, but then having Americans in like lead roles and stuff. And actually, I remember very specifically this this British actor who was played in the movie. Um, he actually plays the role of um, uh, the colonel of the 31st RCT. Um, he plays that role. But he actually said to me, um, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why, but I've been getting a lot of American roles recently, but they just keep on coming. I used to have to fight for roles, but now they just, you know, come down the line. But, that, uh, but to answer your question, no, a lot of the... Um, there were very few Americans, if any, in in that movie as actors, as extras, as advisors. So when you were uh, offered like the position to be on this film, did you know that A, it was going to be one of the most expensive films produced ever, and B, that it was going to be a, a essentially a bullet down to a propaganda film like pr propped up by the uh, Chinese Communist Party? Um, I knew I knew that it was. I knew that it was going to be um, – I knew that it was, like, being made sort of in concert with China, with the Chinese government. It was – and I kind of in, – in the beginning, I kind of um, – I kind of took the – I kind of took the effort of, like, well, if they well, – because they, they, they were making – they were making a very serious effort to try to portray the U.S. side of things at the Chosin Reservoir. Um, and I was like, well, if they're going to make a serious um, effort to try to portray that – like uh, it would be of interest to to be a part of trying to get a good depiction um, of what of what U.S. forces looked like, of what Marines and soldiers actually you know looked like there. Um, and but for for the most part, like to me personally, like China has been just very much off my radar. Um, I'm more I'm I'm very hyper focused um, in the Middle East and Central Asia um, with you know my research with Silao Report and stuff. China is just you know, just something over there, like let other people worry about China. I don't know anything about it. Um, so it wasn't, it just wasn't, it just wasn't kind of on my radar. I was hired as a historic technical advisor um, in that, you know, very small, small capacity. I didn't, I didn't see it as like a big political thing. It's like, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being looked at and for this job because of my skills as a historic researcher, because of me uh, traveling and going around the world. I'm being able to to travel and go internationally, um, and, and because of my marine background and because of all every, everything that I've written and done on YouTube and stuff um, with all my writing about small arms and small arms research. Yeah. yeah so how? So yeah, I guess uh, go into a little detail. Like, what what um, expertise did you bring to the film? So the training part, the training part I brought in terms of um, needed to train the uh, the extras. That was that was like one of the biggest things that I was brought on for uh, in the beginning, and to continuously train them. So these were extras, you know, that 
you know, these are civilians, and they wanted to they wanted them to go through a little boot camp, kind of like uh, for for a lot of military movies, like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. They wanted to do that, um, and so the ex the 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 piece that I fit in there was saying, hey, Miles, can you take these guys and you know teach them how to march, teach them at least how to look like they're shooting, um, teach them how to move under fire, teach them how to communicate with each other teach them how to um, to at least give the appearance of looking like Marines or soldiers um, in that kind of way. And that's what I did for uh, for about a week and a half to two weeks. And I continuously did that later. And it wasn't me. It was uh, our whole our whole team that came in. I had the, the whole team was working on it and we worked. That was, you know, extremely stressful in terms of long days, long nights, um, working with these extras, getting them to go around. Um, and honestly, that was uh, ended up being a lot of fun, and I actually really enjoyed it. And I think a lot, a lot of the extras enjoyed it too, despite you know, I was you know yelling at them and making them do push-ups and making them run around, and it was freezing cold in uh, in Tianmen in uh, northern China in um, February, February March timeframe um, after a 21-day COVID quarantine. Um, but at the end of it, it was like I was you know the guys where the guys kind of dug it they got hyped up they were you know yelling and moving shoot moving and communicating you know i had them uh like yelling out ditties and and marching and you know like all the ears open eyeballs click kind of thing like these are all these are all expats living in china from central asia europe africa um south america as well very few americans as i mentioned earlier and these are all these you know civilian extras they don't get to they don't get to play army kind of thing so some of them had been in the service before and so that that was definitely an interesting to sort of talk with some of them, um, some a, a couple French soldiers, um, a couple Russian soldiers, like former Russian soldiers as well. Um, you know, I got to got to talk with them and stuff, um, share experiences, and and I, I leaned on some of them to be like, hey, can you be the squad leader? Can you be the platoon sergeant? And we had it all organized down to uh, platoons, and it was called a chosen company. And um, and I and I, you know I would I would like yell at all these like expats in China like at a whole I had a whole like company formation like like school circle around me, and I would be like chosen company and they'd be like ah oh, yes sir and I'd be like what makes the grass grow and they'd be like blood makes the grass grow green <laughs> and I'd be like you know and they got into it and then I'd be like all right you know you got you got ten nine eight seven and they'd be like all running to get into school circle I'm like ah so. They got into it. They got into it. I got into it. It was cool. We had fun. Um, and then at the end of it, I thought it was neat because you had the Chinese extras, which the Chinese extras were like actual like PLA soldiers who were like, you know, 57th Battalion, you're now going to become the extras for this movie. So you had a bunch of these, uh, like the Chinese extras were actual PLA soldiers, you know, who were like, all right, get, you know, getting uh, wear this 1950s stuff and run around. And so, um, like, at the end, like, they were training at the same field that we were, right? So they were doing all their stuff with their instructor and everything. And I, and the, and I, and I asked for, and I, um, I asked my boss if we could, like, could we, could we put the two sides against each other at the end of the training? And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And it was, it was cool. So, like, the two sides, like, like the Chinese extras and the, and the U.S., like, expat extras, like, we had this big mock battle at the end of it. And they had, like, they were maneuvering against each other and, like, low crawling and, like, going bang, bang and stuff. It was, it, it was neat. It, it was pretty neat. And then we all, we, all got to, we all got to be sort of, you know, friends and got to know each other. And, like, I got to meet um, 
you know, one of the Chinese bugle players. I, you know, I became friends with him and, uh, you know, all the extras, you know, keep in touch with them. And they're, they're all very nice, like very, very cool guys to be around and work with. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So being that the, uh, oh, hold on one second. So being that the, um, uh, you, your cast was so, such an international cast, especially amongst the extras, was there a sense that like you had to impart on them sort of what chosen reservoir means, not just for America, but for the Marine Corps, and then like sort of give them that esprit de corps, or, or was that not really part of the job description? Yeah, it was in terms of like, like you know, you're training to portray this kind of role, kind of thing, and like you're getting paid to do it because you're getting paid as an extra. So this is your, this is now your job. So your job is to you know be the best you can with that and all and all the um the extras and the like you know the extras got picked on how well they perform so if they you know if they could run and move around and like you know look the part of a marine or of a soldier kind of thing like at least at least for what the you know the crew wanted them to be or at least what the crew had in mind then they would get more parts so it would be of you know, it was on them to be, and you know, the more times they worked, like like sometimes they would get more pay and stuff like that. So it was actually actual job. So the more times they would, you know, look the part, the more they would benefit from it. So they they bought into it um, as well. And and you know, they, they all, we all sort of realized, hey, like at the end of the day, I was like, guys, this is just a movie. <laughs> like <laughs> literally, this is just a movie. Like you know, don't get too wrapped around the the axes axles with this, right? Um, but that being said, you know, I had like, I had straight up platoon, like in the training, I had platoon sergeants, platoon leaders. Um, I had, uh, you know, squad leaders and like fire team leaders. And I'd be like, you know, first platoon run over here. And then I'd make them accountable. And I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, first platoon, platoon sergeant, come over here. Why do your guys not have boots this morning? Like take a lap with it, with your, with your first squad kind of thing. Um, so they got into it. Um, and then we would, everything is about sort of like the language, right? Well, sort of, and how do you make that portrayal? So what I what I really looked into for the historical accuracy side of things is things like the language of the time, um, the the way the weapons carry of the time, um, the equipment, the gear of the time, stuff like that. So, and this was these things were like very subtle, but there were things that I had to really harp on. You know, for example, you know today, you know we're all about muzzles down with you know um, M16s or M4s. Uh, with a grip, with a pistol grip, you have your weapon naturally pointed down and you know, we're all muzzles down today. Um, back then it was the opposite, it was all muzzles up. So back then, so in the training, like I had to harp, I had to like reteach these like rifle fundamentals. It's like always keep the muzzle up. Another big thing that was interesting was like uh, um, left hand. Today, we're always about holding the M4, you know, cause it's a smaller weapon system. You know, we can support the rifle with our right hand we can keep our rifle up and then move around. Everything is with our right hand. We're always maneuvering the weapon with our right hand and holding it by our right hand. With an M1 Grand, you don't hold it by your right hand. That's a 10-pound, you know, wooden, wooden like, like, like weight. It's huge. So left hand was the thing. And you look in, you know, you look carefully in like manuals, and that's what I was looking at in like manuals and books, in um, uh, you know, documentary footage, evidence, all this stuff. Everything's in the left hand. So every time they were running, your rifle's in your left hand, not your right hand. 
And that was something I had to like train out of like some of the soldiers who were there. They would always do with their right hand. And for instance, like, you know, doing buddy rushing and stuff, they would get up with their M1 Grand in their right hand. It's like, no, you push with your right hand, you hold the weapon with your left. And it was interesting because I had um it, like I had this one argument with one of the French guys who was a, a soldier in like a French artillery unit. And he made this he, made, he was like, oh, my French regiment calls the left hand like the death hand. You never have your weapon in the left hand. And I was like, are you sure? Like, can you show me some documentary evidence that shows this? And he pulls up this like famous portrait of his regiment in Algeria in the 1800s. And I look closely at it. And there's like, like one of the guys is like, you know, dead on the ground in, in the portrait. And I'm like, look, even the dead guy has his rifle in his left hand. So and it's like with these older weapon systems, it's all on your left hand. So like little stuff like that was a big thing. Things like, you know, holding the weapons and bringing it up gear um, language, for example. You know, you look at the 1950s and, you know, the language that was used by by soldiers and Marines, by just um, everyday Americans back then. You know, there wasn't this there wasn't profanity in what we know of today. Like you just don't see it. In, in a lot of you look at you look at movie scripts, you look at personal accounts, you look at eyewitness things like talking. Um, you don't see this amount of profanity. Yeah, so it's like like for, there's this tendency among actors, among the actors and the extras, you know, to use a lot of profanity and stuff, and they yell like f this, s this, da da da. And that was something I had to actively like train out of people. It's like tone it down in the profanity for the historical record kind of thing. Um, and that was something with that other things like, you know, the lines and teaching people how to say this, how to say that, um, you know, the commands were different, um, for, you know, like things like set moving move is stuff we use today. Back then they, they used different things and I had to change up the commands in that sense. So these little tiny details that are, that, that at least I see them as important historically. And that was what I would, uh, impart on the extras and the actors of, and how to, how to incorporate in, in their, in their plays. Did they have much of a concept, though, of, like, the Chosen Reservoir, like, what it meant sort of in the larger picture as we're, you know, right in the beginning stages of the Cold War? Yeah, no, not no, not really. It was kind of like, like you know, most of these guys were sort of average dudes, you know, very little to no, you know, probably most of them had very little to no interest in history. They were like, this is a great COVID job, and a lot of them were <laughs> out of jobs or they were at university in China and they couldn't go to university and they're like, well, this job came up. So then they, you know, joined, um, they joined up and, you know, they, they got these jobs in there and they're like, oh, whatever, it's a movie. Like, I'm just going to be in it kind of thing. Um, and I think a lot of, but a lot of them definitely came away from it, like learning a lot more um, at, at a number of different levels. And there were several times like we had, like, I mean, a lot of times actually, like I would, you know, individual actors or extras, like we'd talk about the history or the significance of this particular engagement or this battle or, you know, the 31st RCT or the, uh, the first Marine division and stuff like that. Um, and I'd, I'd have one-on-one -on -one conversations and I did for, especially more for the actors because with the actors, I would uh, have a lot more in-depth conversations because they had to like act out these generals and they had to try to they were trying to portray these moods of what the generals were. And I would be like, OK, well, you're a MacArthur and you're an O.P. Smith. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, well, OK, well, how do you um, um, well, well, th well, this was the dynamic at the time. Well, this guy was a MacArthur guy, so he was a yes man to MacArthur, and he hated Smith. But Smith wanted to do his own thing, so you're trying to do this bit over here. Um, so stuff like that um, was, was what I would get into more with the actors. 
So the movie, I mean, it, it's it's huge. It was large. It grossed over like what uh, $900 million. It's the one, like the biggest, highest grossing film of all time in China. It comes out. Um, at what point do you see the film for the first time? I saw it for the first time um, around when I was in Tajikistan, um, around that time, uh, which was uh, like six, almost six or seven months. Well, actually, no, hold on. Well, about three or four months after, you know, filming ended in late May, sort of early June. And what was your initial reaction to seeing it for the first time? Um, my initial reaction, my initial reaction was kind of, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like, it was kind of varied, like here and there. I was like, what? What did I just become a part of? Um, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, like like at like at the beginning of the movie like the beginning of the movie I'm still utterly baffled I'm just like this is just utter revisionist history at its finest I'm like you know and and it's like on because it says on like like it starts with Inchon and it's like uh, you know on July whatever like the United States like invaded North Korea I'm like yeah but did you forget the past couple months <laughs> or like, <laughs> like like because well, it starts off by saying. America declares war on North Korea, and yeah. then they like they move, act as if you know Americans had not already been there fighting like previously before that. Yeah, and it was very like what? I'm very confused by this. Oh, I was then, like, in the opening scene also like we bombed China apparently. It, yeah, and then you see you see yeah you see like the the B-26s coming in or the F-4Us like you know taking out Chinese shipping vessels and stuff like that, right? Um, yeah, and it was very. And here's the thing, though. It's like I was, I wasn't a part. I had nothing to do with that scene. So it's like only maybe thirty to forty, like only twenty to thirty percent. Not even that. Only twenty percent of the movie I actually like had something to do with, and actually like either gave advice or worked with a team on making things happen, um, and then seeing it and like that. The rest of the movie was like. Because there were three directors that made it. I didn't even deal with the other two. And those other directors were, you know, separate crews, separate uh, groups entirely. So I didn't deal with them. I didn't give them any advice. I didn't even interface with them or liaise with them whatsoever. I only dealt with the one that I worked with, um, with the tactical team that I was on. And we and our team only dealt with that director. So I only, like, only about 20% of the movie that you see on screen is what I was a part of or affected in some way. And then there is another like 20% that never made it into the movie, you know, that I was also a part of kind of thing. So it's very like, it's interesting in, in that sense of, um, yeah. So like you asked when I saw the movie, I was, I was like, what? Like, that's kind of weird. Um, but then other parts, other parts I think came out pretty good in terms of some of the action scenes, the village scene was, um, um, I think well put together in the final in the final product of it. Um, the, I don't know. And then, and then I was and I kept on searching for myself because I was so anxious to like see myself in the two parts. And I actually had like five like four or five parts that I was in, and I had to watch the movie several times to find the parts. And I was like, ah, where am I? Because I was like, you always wonder like, did I make it? Did I not make it? Like, what happened? So. But yeah, that that was kind of that was kind of interesting to see. Like, wow, there I am on the big screen. But no one, you can't really recognize me, just my nose or something. So, so a lot of American war films, especially uh, like recently, um, are are like sort of 
they, they pick a historical unit or individual figure and they base off of like a book or a memoir written off of them and then sort of go from there to start off. like I'm thinking of like we were soldiers Black Hawk Down Band of Brothers they're at least somewhat grounded in in, in a historical event with figures yeah what was that the case for this film or was it sort of just like a a a story taking place in a historical event but not grounded in history so it is grounded in history and the interesting thing about uh, the battle at Lake Changjin is the facts, like the facts that this history is based on, a lot of it actually comes from the U.S. side because as it shows, and, and the, intra- the thing in the movie is that the, the movie, the, the first movie, is really about the destruction of the 31st RCT, um, the 31st Regimental Combat Team, which was initially, um, you know, became known infamously as Task Force Faith um, after after the commander, Colonel McLean, was killed um, in the first couple of days of the fighting. And you actually don't you actually don't even see the Marines. You don't really see the first Marine Division for the majority of the movie. You see them. You see them here and there and stuff like that. But it's actually the Chinese. It's actually a Chinese depiction of the destruction of the 31st RCT. And but they don't they don't really even mention that too much in there. Um, they really they mention it's like, oh, this is a thing against you know the first Marine Division at the at the Battle of Lake Changjin or Chosin Reservoir. And the pro, the thing the funny thing is from the, the the Chinese side and from the overall research side, you actually have an astounding amount of research material and historical material. There's more historical material from the U.S. side on, you know, that was available to depict a movie on the Korean War. There's more historic material from the U.S. side than there is the Chinese side. So much of what the Chinese, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Forces, the CCF, the people's, uh, the volunteer, the volunteer, for, volunteer forces um, that were in Korea, so many of them were either just killed or captured. Like all that front echelon of guys were just dunzoed, you know, in so much of the fighting. And you hear stories from the Chinese, and you hear like like veteran like where are the ve- like where are the veteran accounts? Where are the historical records? Where is the okay the fighting? Okay, I was this platoon commander. There's this platoon commander. A lot of it ain't there, because a lot of them just died or froze to death or were captured, and you know either didn't go back to China or what what have you. Whereas from the U.S. side, it's like the and then this is like the research I was doing for it in terms of you know. Specifically, because I was asked, um, but for the 31st RCT to sort of, because they wanted to replicate the positions of the 31st RCT, and I was getting so into the weeds into researching um, the 31st and especially, uh, you know, Faith's Battalion. I was I was going through the personal accounts, the historical records, the documents, and I had like an entire. Google Earth. I, I still have it on my Google Earth. I have a position layout almost down to machine gunners and bazooka men and automatic riflemen of his of documented. Okay, this was where machine gun position was. This was where a a recoilless rifle team was, and I can back it up by like, well, this is in this account. You know, Sergeant So and So says I set up my recoilless rifle on the peak of this mountain, and that. That mountain was described as this certain location, and I found it in North Korea on Google on you know on Google Earth, and I pinned it down, and da 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 da, and I can you know just dis- I can have a displacement like a fire fire you know a, 
a, a you know a company sketch, a battalion sketch, fire plan sketch of where the 31st, the displacement of the 31st was, you know, on the morning, uh, well, on the evening of, I believe, the on the, in the on the evening of the 26th of November, when they were hit um, especially hard that night, and that was where you know the fighting really started to kick off for the Chosen Reservoir. I ch I challenge almost any researcher to do that for the Chinese side, and you almost can't. Looking in the Chinese primary documents, you know, in the English documents of that, you can't get to that granular level of detail because it ain't there. Because those guys didn't write that; like, it doesn't exist. So you it, ask, go ahead. Go was ahead. That, I'm sorry. Was that a level of detail that they were looking for, like uh, from the production side? It was. It was a level. Like, were they interested in that at all? Y yes, they were. Yes, that, yes, that was that was a that was a requirement. That was an interest. They were like, we want what they did. What the like the requirement that was placed to me was like, draw us what it actually was, and then draw a hypothetical reversion of that, so the director can be like, and, and this is what the direct like the director always wants options, right? And our team was, and I really I really compliment you know my 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 boss and our team for this. In terms of like he really guided me along and saying like the director wants options he wants pick from a b c or d this is what it actually was this is what it could have been this is another example of that and da, 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 da. and the director in his artistic mind is going to say c fits this scene the best and you could make an argument and say yes but c is kind of improbable or this or that and everything but at the end of the day it's like the director is like i don't care i want this this is my movie i'm the i'm the artistic flavor I am the reason why this movie is going to flop or not because I'm the deciding factor in all this, right? And he's absolutely right. The director is, you know, boss at all this, right? He's he's like there's the final say. It's his responsibility. So for a lot of advisors, and it's interesting. Like I kind of understand it now from from um, uh, like in a military advisor perspective. I mean, you, we criticize all these movies. It's like. Well, they, you know, in, in Saving Private Ryan, the paratroopers had black boots instead of brown boots, and da, da da da. And now I can understand from the production side, it's like there were a million reasons why the paratroopers had black boots instead of brown boots in Saving Private Ryan. There were logistical reasons, there were department reasons. This department couldn't make it work with this department or that. There was the director, the artistic side, the AD side. They said we need it to be like this or we need it to be like this. You know, there's all these different reasons why that thing happened. And more often, and almost always, there's, there is a reason why, you know, there is someone coming forward of, well, the actual event in history was kind of like this. But on the artistic side, on the director and the AD side and the creative side, they're like, we're trying to tell a story here. And that isn't going to work into the story because we're trying to get across emotions and we're trying to get across um you know drama and we're trying to get across feeling and this and this and this and what you're saying doesn't isn't going to make that fit because it's not going to work for this couple of reasons and that's like an artistic reason then there's also the logistical side it's like well this department screwed up and they ordered black boots instead of brown boots and now they spent a whole ton of money on the black boots instead of the brown boots and now they can't they, they just blew their budget on that so now we have to work with black boots and that and that's like another side of it kind of thing for a logistical answer and, and that that existed as well um but to answer your question like like there is more historical i feel like there is more historical basis on the a lot of the american side um than that um on on that for example so how i guess from your perspective how historically accurate especially the scene with task force phase was like the set design 
um, presented? Like, was um, I noticed, like, for instance, there's a lot of towers uh, in the American defenses. I know, like, they were in a, in a valley where the Chinese had the high ground. Was that the actual, like, tactical uh, position? Is that how it, it looked like? Or um, was that just directors taking uh, creativity? Well, so in the, the movie, the, the, what the movie depicts of the attack on Task Force Faith, I was not a part of advising on that, all right? So the part that I was on, that our, the, our team, I will not say I, because it was our team. It was a team effort with us, right? Like the part that our team was on um, was the, the, the village scene that takes place at night. That was the big thing we were on. The part that shows the destruction of Task Force Faith and you know the assault on Task Force Faith, that uh, that was a different director. I I did I had no, I saw them shooting and you know filming and stuff like that, um, but I saw them that and uh, I didn't have anything to do with it other than you know making that diagram and some little stuff here and there. What you see in the movie um, is t there, there's a bunch of there's some drama that's taken into play in terms of showing. That you know, I mean, there's 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 basic facts that we can go off of here. It shows that uh, Task Force Faith had tanks. They didn't have tanks um, on the northeast side of the reservoir. Uh, they didn't have tanks. It shows them in uh, you know, there's lookout towers and guard posts that the guys from the 31st are you know shooting from in in that scene. They didn't have um, they didn't have uh, they didn't have lookout posts and guard towers. They were dug. They were in the positions of uh, the seventh Marines um, that had dug those positions on the northeast, and the seventh was being sent over um, to the west side of the reservoir, and the 31st was going to continue their offensive on the east side. Um, and so they didn't have that, right? So, like, the depiction of Task Force Faith being annihilated in the movie is is factually incorrect in terms of those very those, those fact kind of things. But you know, if if that director, the direct, the other the other Chinese director who did that, you know, that I'm sure that was presented to him, and I'm sure he made a decision and said, no, we need drama, we need the tanks, we need the, uh, you know, we need the guard towers, we need this, we need to show this, you know, Chinese is underwhelmed, you know, Chinese force, you know, overwhelming this superior American force kind of thing, and you're not going to get that without the tanks and the guard towers and stuff, so. So having, having seen the film and also being a, a, a member of its production, what would you think, what would you say that the, the argument of the film is? Like the, the, the main point of it, like what is, is the big takeaway a viewer of this film, especially from a Chinese perspective, is supposed to get after watching this? The, take, the takeaway for the Chinese side is that uh, like America is a great power, but still has an Achilles heel that we can, um, even though like we might not match it entirely, but we can still have a real good go at it. Um, and I think that's the strategic geo geopositional um, messaging that the film is trying, that the Chinese are trying to push with the film. Um, and that's kind of the gist of it at that level. Um, and I mean, the Chinese say as much, and you look at the movie articles and stuff like that, like that's kind of the point that a lot of people are trying to bring across. Um, and in the movie, it's like, well, this great, um, you know, this great, this great American empire just coming out of the Second World War, you know, gets, gets defeated by this peasant army, this peasant communist force that doesn't even have like wearing sneakers in the snow kind of thing. Um, that, that's what they're trying to show with that. So... In, in working in working with uh, the Chinese and in, in, in creating this film, 
so uh to what extent is is the battle of like shangjin like part of like their national story is it a big thing is this something that a lot of people knew about before going into or is this trying to bring like this something that isn't really uh as well stood understood as other historical events um it's a big deal to the chinese historically because because the first phase well the second phase offensive right which is which is the first phase chinese offensive ccf offensive actually took place in october of that year right where the chinese um you know you know they did a reconnaissance you know essentially a reconnaissance offensive against against the against the us um and then the second phase offensive is what you see that really turns the tide of the korean war that's a big deal to the to the chinese communist party to into the chinese army because this is, you know, as, as I was saying, this the Chinese army was this, you know, multi like peasant army that emerged from the Chinese Civil War, you know, as being victorious against the nationalists, but not victorious against anything else. And obviously, the, the Chinese, the Communist Party, you know, had been whipped. They'd been getting whipped by the Japanese. They'd been whipped by the nationalists before the Second World War. The Long March was a retreat to the, to, you know, to the West. And so they hadn't been tested, you know, until the Korean War. And then this is a big deal to them in doing that. Now, that being said, something that I always point, I always want to point out on the strategic level is that the forces that the, 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 a lot of the forces, especially at the Chosen Reservoir, on the Eighth Army's side, you know, I can't speak as much with General Walker, but on the, at the Chosen Reservoir, a lot of the forces, a lot of the, the communist forces that were up against the Marines in the 31st, these were not originally communist forces. These, a lot of them were nationalist uh, uh, soldiers and units that had fought against the communists and then had either surrendered or switched sides. And they were getting ready to, well, two, fa two sides here. The first side is that the forces that were, that were committed to the Chosen Reservoir were actually getting ready to invade Taiwan. Um, that they, they, they were strategically getting ready to storm Formosa you know, when, this, uh, when this happened. Um, when the when when the MacArthur you know kept on pushing north, and then the Chinese strategic vision was like, no, we need to hold off on Taiwan, you know, a decision they probably regret to this day, and then we need to go into Korea because this is a bigger threat. So that was the first thing that went on. So a lot of Taiwanese actually look at the Korean War and they're like, that's the war that saved us because if it wasn't for the intervent, if it wasn't for the Chinese intervention in Korea, that would have been a Chinese intervention in Taiwan. First part. The second part, a lot of these forces that fought against the Marines and the soldiers at Chosin were these nationalist troops that swapped sides and, and, and were used there. So, and you see this in, in, in you see this in the historical record time and time again. You see Marines taking you know, capturing Chinese soldiers and being like, Where are you from? And they're like, Oh, I'm from Shanghai. I'm from Hong Kong. I was with the nationalist side, and then we surrendered, and now we got sent here. And then you see this a lot, and it's like, wait, hold on a second. Was this like a deliberate, like a deliberate move on Mao's part to be like, oh, all these guys that surrendered to us, they could be a real thorn in my side if I, if my regime doesn't work out. What if I send them to the meat grinder in Korea, and I can just get rid of them, and I'll label them as heroes, and then they'll they'll live in infamy as like heroes. You know, they'll be like martyred for the cause, kind of thing, for the communist cause. Um, but really, it's a win-win. I stop the Americans in Korea, and I get rid of any potential enemies in the future. And the Chinese don't realize this, and that narrative isn't being told, right? 
So yeah. in the movie, it's like, well, the historic, you know, the ninth, the ninth company, like, going to war against the, the evil American imperialists. It's like, well, who, who would have the ninth company actually been in, in real life? Well, the ninth company might have been something out of Shanghai that uh, was formerly nationalist and didn't want to intrude, you know? Um, and that's something that Chinese history forgets. It does not tell. And you see that on the U.S. side. And this is what I mean about, like, the historical record is there. It's like, I can't make this up. You can look through the history books. You can look at the personal accounts. You look at the prisoner testimonies and records and, you know, the interrogations of the prisoners. And they're like, all these guys are from here. So that's something that, that's something that um, in terms of the strategic perspective on the movie and Chinese history that we often miss and that the Chinese don't get and isn't portrayed there. So... Well, and I think that's interesting you mentioned because I wonder, and maybe this is the cynic in me, but is it, it's less about them forgetting and more the, there's more intentionality there. Uh, and one of the things I'm thinking of is, and I hate to call this a propaganda flick, uh, but and especially when you compare to like stuff that we were putting out and you know the action movies we had in the 80s and 90s. I mean, clearly, we're very indoctrinated, very used to our version of propaganda. And so when I watch this, I get like, oh, man, that's, you know, so inaccurate. Like, well, dude, that they just took a page out of our playbook, man. That's like, <laughs> that's all they did. Um, but at the same time, like, it has utility, um, especially as we look at some of the cultural dynamics and the cultural tensions within China. Um, it seems like there's a lot... Um, I almost unapologetically that they are including in here and intentionally not including other things like for the fact of the matter is like this wasn't a fight of the seventh company of the eighth whatever you know when they do roll call they're going into the you know it seems like it's only maybe a thousand guys at most but really the whole thing was like 120,000 against 30,000 not this 1,000 against 30,000 sort of thing and so anyways um I guess what's some of your take on what what the the role that propaganda is doing? I mean, it, I think it's no coincidence that it was released on like the 20th anniversary of the CCP, right? So, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, the role, well, one big thing with the role of propaganda, and it's almost like like you mentioned, like what what do you, what do they include? What does history what what do you include and what do you not include about the about movies that display the historical record? You know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of asked this early on, and I was like, because um, we were talking about the composition of the 31st RCT, and we were talking about, okay, well, what, how, what were you, what were the units involved and the soldiers and all that stuff? And I asked a question. I was like, where are the Koreans? And I, and I was like, wait, wh what do you mean, what, what Koreans? And I was like, 30 percent, 30 to 40 percent yeah. of the 31st RCT was an inter, was integrated South Korean troops. You had integrated down to the squad level. You had split squads that were half Korean, half American, right? Half American soldiers. And that is pointed to one of the reasons why the 31st probably did so badly was because you had no unit cohesion. You had squads on the line that they couldn't even talk to each other. You know, squad leader says, you know, fire watches ABC and half the squad is like, I don't know what you're saying, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, so, and, and I was, and it came back and it came back to me. It was like, it was like, oh, we're not, we don't, we don't talk about that. 
We don't ask questions about the Koreans that were in the 31st RCT. This is a very uh, sensitive subject. Or, or the Koreans that were in the Korean War, for that matter. They're, they're not there in the movie, on either side. As, yeah. There's no North Koreans, there's no South Koreans. There's just Chinese and Americans, right? Because this is what the movie's trying to show, China versus America. It's not China, it's not a complicated thing between Korea and Korea and the proxy and da da da, da. And the you know? UN and all this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fact that it wasn't even declared a war by the United States, it still oh. was considered a police action. Oh yeah, and then, I mean, there's no there's no UN forces involved too. And you know, it's and and for instance, at uh, at the Hongnam at Hongnam Harbor, right? Where at the end of the movie they show this, you know, you know, you know, heart this American force that's like, you know, tucked with their tails in, like going on the ships and stuff like that. And I was kind of like, I kind of was talking with one of the assistant directors, I think, one day, and I don't know how it came in, but I was like, you know, there were over a hundred thousand like Korean refugees like on those ships. Like there was almost as many Korean refugees as there were actual American soldiers who evacuated. They were like, what? There were Korean civilians on the ships? I was like, yeah, look it up. It's like, it's called the Christmas miracle in Korean history of how like you, they, logistically it was impossible to fit that amount of bodies on ships. But the Hongnam, the evacuation of Hongnam included all these Korean civilians that got out, that didn't want to live under the North. It's like, they were there too. You don't see them in the movie. You know, so I was like, yeah, you know, they, they were there too. It's like, well, I don't see them, right? So, so it's like, how does propaganda serve the purpose? Well, that's an example. It's like, it almost, it, it's, it, you know, it, it tells both sides what is included and also what is not included. Yeah. It tells that perspective of propaganda of like, well, what's not included is almost as important as what is included kind of thing. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So part so, of what, what I could say the film, at least as a historian myself, like did correctly was I love the portrayal of the American leadership of how MacArthur and uh, Allman were perceived as like incompetent assholes. And then my, my man, Oliver P. Smith was, uh, was portrayed somewhat positively. To what extent do you think that the, uh, the film was trying to prop up the Marine Corps, especially as America's premier fighting force in comparison to the army? And do you think that's, that's, that's an issue that they're, I, I guess they're trying to uh, reinforce this today, especially with the Marine Corps doing in uh, with our, our current uh, change in force design to, to sort of score off against China. Do you think that's they're trying to, in essence, like elevate the fighting powers of the Marine Corps to say we beat this organization and to sort of, hey, this generation of Chinese people might have to do the same thing? That's, you know, as a, and, and it's tough. Well, I mean, it's very, that's very straightforward, actually. But I'll go back to kind of what I said earlier. It's like the Marine Corps doesn't actually it doesn't take center stage in 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 the movie. In the second movie, it does because that's the bat that you know that movie shows you know the battle of the water dam um, over the um, the the dam that that the the first Marine Division had to had to go over the Fujian or Fulin Dam, right? Um, and that shows more of the Marine Corps there. But for what the movie I was a part of, the first one, the Marine Corps is actually the two big battle scenes don't involve Marines. It involves the 31st and then this sort of um, um, uh, made up, you, you know, this sort of historically correct, but also made up um, American infantry company holding this uh, village that's on the way to the, to the Chosin Reservoir. But those, there's an army infantry company, right? It's not a Marine company. Um, so, and, and in and in the um, 
and like, the, and they make all these. So most of it is like verbal, and you know, it's kind of like lip service in the first movie in terms of they say like, you know, MacArthur says, you know, I have the, I have the, uh, the, the very powerful like first Marine division and the best troops in the world kind of thing. It's like, yeah, he mentions the, the, the you know, he's got the first Marine division, but where's the first Marine division in the movie? It's not really there most of the time, right? And then at the be- and then at that scene with uh, Colonel uh, McLean where the Marines are walking by and he's like, hey, all you puking bears. Um, like, like, what are you guys? Like, da-da-da-da. And, um, and, and then McLean comes over and says, don't worry, boys. Like, this ain't no Peleliu. Like, we'll show, like, we'll, we'll show them what a real battle is. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of it in terms of them showing the 1st Marine Division um, in that. But and I think what's ha- I think what was trying to be I think what was trying to be um, displayed with O.P. Smith was that the Chinese are trying to show O.P. Smith as this guy who like who realized the power that China could bring to the table, and they're trying to show him in a way of like look at this guy he knew what we were capable of all along, and he was trying to stop like he was trying to stop the. The, the, the catastrophe that was about to unfold, but he couldn't do anything about it because he had this maniac MacArthur and his like, you know, his lip service boy Almond like working with him as well. But he knew our true capability. And I think that's what they're trying to show with Smith, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not it's not too far from the truth in that <laughs> Smith was, you know, uh, Smith saved the first Marine Division at the Chosen Reservoir. Like and his his actions you know, in so many ways, like display, like, you know, like, like he was the guy, you know, the division needed to say, we need an airport at Hagaru. We are going too fast. You know, my front can't, my, my back can't catch up. I can't catch up with my front. I, my lead elements, my lead infantry regiment is a hundred miles from my rear infantry regiment. He was the guy that needed to like put his foot down and say, we need to hold fast. We need to dig in. We need to make this airport. When everyone else around him was like, go, go, go. MacArthur says, get to the Yalu, da, 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 you know? Um, so, so, and that, and that kind of, and that displays, I think they just, dis- I, I liked how they did try to display that leadership dynamic in the movie. And that was part of like some of the coaching things that I did with those actors where you see, you know, the guy who displays Walker and O.P. Smith and Almond and MacArthur, um, who, you know, that was what I, that was the history that I would like take them aside and be like, hey, this is what was going on. And these are the characters that you're being asked to display kind of thing. This is how they were. So if that answers that. Well, that's really cool, actually. So, it, it, in, I, I don't know, I, I guess, uh, I don't think you may, uh, if you may answer this, but like in terms of just like kind of Chinese like cinema uh, uh, culture, is do people, do you think the audience largely views this as, as authentic or do they view this as more of an action movie in terms of its depiction of the Korean War and then also war in general? Because I actually kind of like the first third of the movie when they're getting to their front line. Um, mm-hmm. This, this, the sense of being thrown into to train cars and mass, and then the like the like the being victims of, of of bombing on their supply routes. But then it feels like once you get to the front lines, it it's like a rewind back to like a, like a 1980s movie. Or if you've seen Inglorious Bastards, the film within a film, where, yeah. where uh, it's on where you have like Hitler laughing at this sniper shooting all these Germans. I just imagine like Jinping. In his little like movie theater in China, just laughing his ass off as as these these Chinese action heroes are just 
you know, mowing down Americans as if they're the front lawn. So what, what do you think, I guess, is the reaction to its depiction of, of, of warfare in general? Well, I think I think if they had asked our director and our tactical team to advise or to, to do the second part, you would be saying the reverse and you'd be saying the first part's kind of slapstick and the second start second part is much better. Um, because we only we only worked with the uh, that, that was a joke. Um, um, we only worked with that first part that you're talking about, like going on the train and then going the, the whole village fight and everything. That was that was our commitment to the movie. We didn't do that second part. And that second part was another director that filmed that part. So he filmed it in, you know, his style and his way. But that's why I mean, that's probably answers to your question of why the two are like that. Uh, well, that does answer your question in terms of that's why it feels like that separation, because one director and crew took care, took care of that second part. And it was the other director and crew, which was us, had that first part with the village scene. Um, so but in terms of like. Well, the Chinese response to it, um, I've heard uh, a lot of like a lot a lot of Chinese were like sort of proud that it kind of came out, uh, and it's among it's kind of like this it kind of kind of like how it is like in the United States and kind of like Korea the Forgotten War like you know so in China there's this resurgence of Korean War you know drama and, and history, all a lot of this is of course directed by you know the the Chinese Communist Party. Um, in terms of you have like a, it's called, there's like a 38th parallel, like movie series that came out in China. There's another movie about, um, um, uh, this bridge that the, uh, that is trying to be built, um, on the, on the Western side of the country. And, you know, the Americans keep blowing it up, but the Chinese keep building it. That was a big movie that came out. And then there's this movie as well. And then the part two. So it's like this resurgence of that. So a lot of Chinese are kind of like, wow, like, you know, rediscovering like, oh man, we did all that we like, we did all this, and we didn't we didn't know about it, kind of thing. It's coming back back to light. Also, at the same time, I think um, what I heard, you know, what ha had a lot of Chinese say to me, um, in terms of saying we kind of saw right through it, like we saw what it was. It was like, is it was you know one of these one of these state propaganda films, and we kind of saw that okay, yeah, they're trying to push this agenda. It's like okay, next one, I guess. Um, so yeah, that, there was a uh, there was a Chinese blogger who was actually arrested for being critical of the film, wasn't he? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, he and he was yeah he was critical of um, like the depiction of the the of the soldiers of the Chinese soldiers or something like that. Um, yeah, don't criticize it in China. <laughs> no, I'm not going back. I am not going back to China under this regime for the rest of my life. That's for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that kind of answers your question with the the response to it um in that you know it's kind of like kind of like how active valor was to be honest like when active valor came out it was like mm. come on every, everybody saw right through that and it's like yeah it's a cool flick and you know some of the technical sides of the scenes were like they actually used miniguns and helicopters and scuba and everything but at the end of the day it's like yeah this it's is a recruitment this video is, <laughs> yeah this is a seal like this is a naval special warfare recruitment tool kind of thing it's like I'm more impressed with, um, you know, like Navy SEALs, the original movie with Charlie Sheen, right? Like that was cool. Like that had me riding on the seat of my thing. It's like with Active Valor, it's like, great, another minigun scene. Oh, great, another house clearance scene. Oh, wow, they killed all the bad guys that time. Like one shot to the face. Like of course they did. <laughs> like they're SEALs, you know. So, um, I, would, I think that, I think I would answer it like that. So is it? Do you feel the film has been successful or unsuccessful or? 
you may not be answer this, but in, in terms of uh, gearing the Chinese population into viewing the United States as more adversarial. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think if, if, if the movie was supposed to be like, like some kind of a, like a, what is it? A Manchurian candidate kind of thing to be like, like Chinese population activate against the U S I don't think so. Because but is it more like, like just like planting like a seed in the back of your mind? Like this historical event happened when we were against the United States that we may have like less heard of before. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think the Chi- I think a lot of Chinese who watch it are, are kind of like, they, they see it for what it is a, 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 a sweet action flick that displays what our government feels like against the U.S. kind of thing. Um, because like, like a lot of, well, okay, so there's two things at play here. I think the first one is that a lot of, um, a lot of the young Chinese population is. Um, well, a lot of it is pretty woke in terms of they, they have VPNs, they know how to get around the systems, like they're not fooled very easily. It's like these, like a lot of them are very smart, they're educated. They, yeah, go they studied to, in the West, right? Like, yeah. went to, they went to Berkeley, they went to Stanford, they went to NYU. Yeah, like they're, this is a pretty woke population. So a lot of the younger, like intelligent, and like, you know, the younger um, sort of more affluent side of China sees this for what it is, it's like another action flick, right? The second thing is that, um, like, whatever views, like, whatever views that, you know, the more the more adversarial part of the Chinese population is and has, it's like, the only thing this film does is it just sort of reinforces it slightly. It's like, I had this anti-U.S. view. Yeah, let's go watch this movie. Yeah, I'm still just as anti-U.S. as I was before. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I haven't changed. You know, I'm still anti-U.S. I'm not like I don't I don't get the sense of like oh, I'm anti-U.S. times ten. Now I'm going to be anti-U.S. times twenty. Yeah, it's like no, <laughs> maybe ten point five. You know, um, because I mean like as an example, like in terms of Taiwan, right? Like I, I just remember this one time on set with the uh, you know one of the Chinese extras whom I became friends with. Like I just mentioned um, one time. I just mentioned like. Um, Oh, I used to have these like uh, I used to buy these airsoft uh, gas pistols, gas guns. Um, you know, and I know the really good ones were made in uh, Japan, but there are some also good ones that are made in Taiwan. I wasn't even I was talking about airsoft guns. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about airsoft guns. And as soon as I said Taiwan, it was as if he got activated and he he looked off in the distance, like literally into the sky, and said and literally said in English, Taiwan. It will it will be ours again, you know, like like this like this and this was in the middle of making the film, right? Like, Dude, that is Manchurian candidate, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like Taiwan. It will be ours again, you know. And it's like like he didn't that guy. He's a very nice guy, but he didn't need to be involved in a, making a movie about the Korean War, showing the U.S. as the bad guys. He didn't need that to reinforce his opinion that, you know, the U.S. is bad. We will have Taiwan again. China will rise. You know, that did that. He didn't need that. All right. He already had that. OK. And then uh, the mood around, like, some of the Chinese population that I met, like, you know, after during the movie, you know, the mood was like it wasn't like, should we go? Should we take back Taiwan or should we do this or should we do that? It was when will we do it? You know? And the movie didn't even. The movie was still in production. Yeah, 
They didn't need a movie to convince them that we need. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. We need to really work on Taiwan, guys. Let's really get back to the drawing board on this one. It's like they didn't need a movie to do that. They were all people were already thinking this, right? So I think the you know the movie just sort of you know as if it was a, a part of a political agenda, like it. I don't think it mobilized anyone. I think people were like, yeah, let's go to the theater. Let's see a cool war action movie. Oh man, that sucks. Wow, yeah, we really did really good in the Korean War, didn't we? Okay, well let's go back to work tomorrow. Um, and I think that was sort of the extent of that. I don't see it as like a geopolitical mover kind of thing. So, so you, you mentioned earlier that you a, have been completely turned off to the the film industry and as well as the uh, as well as not necessarily the, the Chinese people, but the Chinese communist uh, government. Do you mind like elaborating more on that? Like like what what uh what sort of flipped the switch to you? Well, I mean, for for me, I just got like like for 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 me it's like like I'm I'm a prior infantry marine like myself like like the movie is depicting combat and it's like this is just combat is it's a very like personal real visceral experience it's like this is the real thing and as i was like researching i was just going such in depth and i and like like you know i read every single thing i could about the chosen reservoir like getting to the point of getting when you get to when you read enough sources and you dig into enough sources now you're finding all these sources citing each other and they're all telling the same story now because the authors are just telling that surface level and then you're getting even deeper into the archives and that kind of thing and i'm just like like just reading about what the marines and soldiers did at the chosen reservoir and also from the chinese side like i kind of just i kind of just developed this attitude of just like you know what everyone involved at the reservoir did you know in november and december of 1950 on all sides on the american side and the chinese side like this just sort of unparalleled like i mean well there's worse times in history as well but just like horrible suffering and bravery and and you know fighting and everything and i'm i just got to the point in my research i was just kind of had developed this personal affront to being like there's you cannot trivialize this in a movie you can't like run around with a blank gun and a rubber gun and just like fall around on a hill and say like this is what it was like the chosen reservoir i think i feel like it's almost childish or trivial like to, to even attempt to do that and i just got really turned off i just got really turned off by by things like like in the movie like i went there to train the extras and i was training them how to you know look like and appear like real marines and soldiers and like this is what you like you know the things i was telling them on set i was like because they were trying to like you know one particular time like because they, they did a lot of like acting themselves so for instance like they were told like hey go over here and do like do this on your own but the camera will be filming but let's see what you do kind of thing and like like one of them it was like it depicts like these two guys were running across the thing and one of them gets shot and the other guy like gets on the ground and is like, buddy, buddy, are you okay? Like, da, 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 da. And I just like stopped them. I was just like, stop. Like in real life, your buddy's down. F him. This ammo can needs to get to that machine gun position. He's done. Pick up the can and go. And like, this is the stuff I was imparting to them, right? From real world experience of, no, this is real. And then like, I'd see, so it's like, you can't trivialize this. Like there's nothing funny about any of this. This is the real deal. And then, like, they'd have, like, you know, because, and, and that was what I was trying to get across to them in training, because I took it seriously. I was like, I'm going to treat these guys like they were my boots in the fleet. Like, I'm going to tell them what's up, you know? 
Um, and then like the stunt team would take guys over to the side and then like, okay, let's practice. Like, let's practice how you guys die. And they're like, okay, run at us. And then I'll shoot at you. And then, and then, and then like fall down in, in a dramatic way. And like, ah, oh, I got shot kind of thing. And then they would like pick guys for scenes. Like, oh, this guy dies really well. Like he just like falls down and just like, da da da. And just like, it's just like, I was just so turned off by that. I was like, I've, I have like almost a career now. Well, I mean, since I was 18 years old, like in the Marine Corps and then overseas and relief organizations and conflict zones, like I have a life of trying to stay alive and trying to train to stay alive and trying to do the best I can and, you know, try to en enact the most I can kind of thing, you know, and it's like, and you're just like faking death. Like I'm not about faking death. I'm about making life happen, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's just very like, I don't ever want to get, I don't, I don't want to be involved in a movie ever again. Um, for some people, for some vets who get out and they become military advisors, I mean, like Dale, you know, Dale Dye is the big one, right? Um, and I, I, inter I interviewed Dale Dye. Um, I interviewed Dale Dye for um, the Semper Fi magazine for, for that, right? For the Marine Corps League. And Dale Dye is super passionate. He's enthusiastic. Like he loves movies. And he loves movies like trying to make combat look real kind of thing. And he has a whole career based on that, starting with Platoon and stuff. For guys like him and other technical advisors, you know, they may dig it. And they may be like, oh, okay, look, I can, you know, I can make combat look like kind of real on screen kind of thing. But for me, it's like, this is not my cup of tea. I don't know. And I, and I, I just found that out during that. It's like, this is like, you're depicting something that is so real and visceral. It's like, there's no trivializing or um faking it it happened to the guys that inv were involved and i have so much respect for both sides for the chinese side and the american side like there's no movie you can you you know you know it's kind of like i don't know like the gettysburg address and lincoln is like you know our poor power to add or detract it's like that's exactly what lincoln is talking about like our poor power your power means nothing compared to what these guys went through you cannot add or detract anything on them they went out there they did the deed you know they suffered horribly they did the thing and now that it's fact and now we deal with the consequences you know these guys lost these guys won etc i can't trivialize this so that's just kind of my takeaway um with that very so that that will be my last movie i hopefully i'm ever involved in i don't want to be involved in movies after that um but i'm thankful for the opportunity humbled by it immensely that was the hard, honestly, that was the hardest I've ever worked in my life in terms of from January to May, that was 14, 15 hours every single day of just traveling, researching, you know, being on set, like nonstop. I thought when I went to China, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to work on the weekdays. I'm going to travel all over China on the weekends. I'm going to see a lot of cool stuff. No way. That was seven days a week. It was like that, and that was the that was like Chinese work ethic. It's like no, there's no taking a break. You are you are pedal to the metal to the grind every day, um, and that I definitely took away. You know that you know my experience of you know the a Chinese work ethic. Wow, nobody works harder in the world than Chinese. That is, you know. That is something I'll definitely leave as, as a positive thing about China. It's like, I've never seen anyone work this hard. And that was, the movie industry wasn't different than any other industry in China. Every industry is like that. I don't like it. I definitely don't want to be involved in it. But, 
Yeesh. I won't, I won't, I won't knock it. That's for sure. It's like that. That was the hardest I've ever worked. So. So do you believe just like any any um, like depicting combat and war realistically is an unattainable goal for any director or any I or think, any film? I think I think it's I think it's I mean for I don't think it is on a well actually you know if we want to answer realistically it is unattainable because. Unless unless you're you're sitting there in a fighting hole and you're getting, you know, machine guns over your head and artillery all around you, like that, how do you do, how do you bring that to someone? You can't experience that unless you're there. Um, now we can get close to it, and I think like you know it is worth it getting close to it because directors do a good job of it in terms of you know, and and I myself like I'm I, I myself am motivated, right? Like. Like I, you know, part of my motivation in going into the Marine Corps is like saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down. Like I want to be like that guy. I want to be Matt Eversman, like mowing dudes down. I want to be like, you know, homeboy on Omaha Beach, like dodging machine gun fire. So I want to be him, right? So there's a value in movies, and we need to keep them in the public consciousness, kind of thing. Um, but it's not for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a hard. It's a hard question. I enjoy, you know, I enjoy movies. I enjoy watching them. War movies are interesting to me. I enjoy watching war movies. I can identify with them because, you know, I've kind of, I've been in some of those shoes and a lot of, in a lot of the situations I haven't, all the more serious ones like World War II. I can't identify with being in the Second World War or the Chosen Reservoir. I just can't. I wasn't there, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch is like, you know, I don't know kind of thing. It's kind of my answer for that, I guess. Vic, do you have anything? No, no. Again, man, I really just appreciate your time, dude. It's always great to uh, sit down and sort of pick your brain, man. You're, I mean this with utmost affection, man, but you're like one of the gnarliest dudes I know. It's just, I love just sort of hanging out with you. <laughs> well, thank you, Vic. That's a really big compliment. And I, it's anything I can add to the show, I guess. I think definitely, I can definitely, um, I'm humbled by those words for sure. Uh, absolutely. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.